righteous hearts to step forward here, Father. We ask you to continue to be with us and keep us here, Lord. We ask you to be with us this night, oh, Father, as we study thy word. Dear Lord, bless your feet, man, dear Lord, as he comes tonight, oh, Lord. Bless us, oh, Lord, that we may understand what he tells us, oh, Lord. Strengthen us, oh, Lord, that we may encompass ourselves in thy word. not ashamed to admit that the Lord is your King, King of kings and Lord of lords. We worship and praise his holy name on tonight. This is the day that the Lord has made. We are rejoicing and we are glad about it. Amen. Amen. Good to see each of you, my father's children. Thank God for another day's journey. Amen. We also have a live stream up and going, so we invite, we thank God for our live streamers who are viewing with us on tonight. Uh, we are looking forward to a very special uh, Bible study on the night, so thank you for being here as we uh, delve into a, a hot topic, you might call it, uh, of the day. Um, and because, because we are an intergenerational congregation, uh, I, I feel like I need to set up this Bible study so that everybody uh, is on the same page. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're, we're, talking, we're talking about... Uh, a, a topic that's that's really sweeping uh, across the nation uh, uh, in in Christian circles across the nation in churches across the nation uh, because of, uh, of 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 the the, the musical artistry uh, and and the entrance of that artistry uh, into the church and uh, the implications of it. Uh, the embracing of it, in some cases the rejection of it, um, and how do we, uh, as the body of Christ, deal with, deal with, and 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 engage and compassionately um, uh, answer uh, what we see happening, uh, and and how do we interpret what we see happening? 
uh, because some of us probably have different interpretations of, about what, what's going on. So what's going on? Let me bring everybody up today. Um, so Kanye West. Everybody know Kanye West? No, somebody doesn't know Kanye West. Who doesn't know Kanye? Okay, it's okay. It's all right. All right, Kanye West. Kanye West is, is a rapper uh, out of Chicago, um, uh, born and raised in Chicago. He, he is probably one of the most influential uh, uh, rappers of, of, of this generation. Um, he, he's a masterful uh, lyricist. Um, uh, some have compared him in terms of his, 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 his lyrical genius. Uh, some have compared him to, to being the Mickey, Michelangelo uh, of, of rap because of his artistry, the way he puts words together and thoughts together and make them come to life. And so he is a, he's a big name. He's a big deal. Uh, for, for, for millennial generations, for the generation uh, X and Y, and, and some, some of us as well. Um, uh, some of you all will admit y'all like Kanye. Don't act like you don't like him. Amen. Some of y'all loved him when he came out. Some of y'all trying to figure out how you feel about him since he said he, he, do, he loved Trump. I know y'all trying to figure out where to place him. Uh, but but, but, but that, all that being said... Um, Back during um, Easter of this year, during Easter of this year, um, he, he started what's called Sunday services. It was during the, the Coachella music uh, event out in California. Um, and basically what it is, is uh, on Sundays, it's a gathering of, of, a, of a choir of about 100, 150 people. Um, and they come to this location that was set in, in L.A. It was actually in Burbank, I believe it was. Um, and, and they have a Sunday service that is filled with music, that is filled with music, and that is filled with music. Amen. I mean, really, I, I, they will tell you that. It's filled with music. That's what it is. It's, it's a great, and, and let me be honest. Let me go on and go on record. The music is on point. And, all right, y'all didn't expect that from this preacher. The music is good. I, I, I will admit, I, I found myself bobbing to the music. It is, it is good music. In fact, it is music that we recognize. And the reason we recognize and the reason our heads bob to it so easily is because, because it's our music. It's the music of the church. We know this music. Baptist children grew up at conventions singing, Oh Lord, how excellent. Y'all ain't talking to me in here. We know this music. We went to convention across the state and warned Superior across the state singing, Oh, Lord, how excellent is thy name. And that, it, it's the music that is familiar to us. We know this music. Um, and, so, and, and another reason it's so familiar to us is because the musical director, the musical director is, is the director from or was the director from the West Angeles Church uh, in L.A. Uh, with, with Bishop Blake. And so, we, yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's from him. Okay. So the music is very familiar, y'all. It's our music. Okay. Um, and, and, and so when we talk about, when we talk about, well, I don't like what he's doing. It's music that we know. It's music that we love. It's music that we sing. Okay. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing. Um, but, and everything was okay. The church was okay with it, at least they weren't saying nothing about it, until, until he took Sunday service to church. And, and Sunday service showed up first at, at Friendship Baptist Church in Chicago a couple of weeks ago. 
uh, uh, where Clay Evans used to be pastor. Now Charles Jenkins is the pastor. Um, so it showed up there. That's uh, where Jesse Jackson is a, is a member there, Jesse Jackson. And, and you can go online and you can see, you know, some have described it as a, a look of wonderment, like, do I like this or do I, do I protest this or what? Um, and, and, and so then the, the Twitter feeds started then and the chatter started then about, you know, what, what is this? How do we, how do we feel about this? Uh, what is this exactly? Uh, should Kanye be doing this, right? Uh, because he's a rapper and, and all the other stuff that he's done in his life and, and all of that. So what do we feel? And then last week, Sunday service showed up at New Birth in Atlanta, right? And, and you can go and Google it, right? You can go and look at YouTube. It and, and, and it's about 150 uh, uh, young people uh, who, compose, who comprise this choir uh, that he, fly, he flew in, um, 150 people. Uh, to, to sing at New Birth, and 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 it was a it was huge. It's a, New Birth, you know, is a twenty five thousand member church, and so um, it was a beautiful, large service. Um, um, and and there they were uh, singing and and lifting up songs that that we know that are familiar to us. And 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 again, uh, the, the media started and the Twitter feed started. Wait a minute, what? You know, how, you know, it's one thing for him to have his Sunday services, but now he in the church and look like the church is okay with it. So, so, so the question becomes, are we okay with it? What, what do we make of, what do we make of, of, of this new phenomenon? Some have described it as God doing a new thing, right? And that we have to be open and, and embracing of, of this new culture uh, that, that, that God is, is, is using uh, young people uh, all across uh, the nation, raising up a new generation, and, and, and Kanye happens to be uh, at the forefront of, of this movement, this Sunday service movement, this, this movement that, that relies heavily upon on music um, as, as the medium for the message. Um, and so tonight, tonight I wanted to, I wanted to uh, bring you here and talk about Kanye culture and the church. Kanye culture and the church. And, and how do we, what do we believe? Uh, how do we engage? Uh, how do we interpret what, what we see? And how do we relate to those um, who, who, who are looking and searching for truth? And perhaps that's the best place to begin. Perhaps that's the best place to begin by saying, I think we ought to be cautious, prayerful, and thankful when people are searching. I think I want to start right there. When people are searching, I think there's a, there's a reason for the body of Christ to see that in its authenticity, to see the purity of the search, right? The purity of I want to know, the purity of I, I, I'm interested in truth, I want to figure this thing out, and I'm on this journey. I think there's a space in that where the church should actually celebrate that. Y'all ain't talking to me anyway. The church should actually celebrate that people are searching for truth. 
Because if we believe we are the holders of truth, if we believe we understand truth and someone's looking for it, then that ought to excite us that we have the answer to what they're looking for. I, I want to start there because I think too often the church can, can, can start criticizing before celebrating the search. We can too quickly criticize people who are on the search rather than celebrating the fact that they're searching, that they're looking, that they're wanting to know, right? Um, and, and, and so, and so I, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for, for anybody, and I, I, I see the opportunity that the church has whenever anybody is searching. Now, let, let, me, let me go ahead and pass these out. Did you get the rest of those? Okay, go, go ahead and let's pass these out. And um, as, as those are being passed out, I want to name some names, and you tell me what, what they all have in common. Are you ready? You listening? You listening? Here they are. Al Green, Aretha Franklin, Whitney Houston, John Legend, Fantasia, Marvin Gaye, Faith Evans, Beyonce. I couldn't fool y'all. Right? Every, every name I just mentioned got their start in the church. And they, those who are here still with us, will tell you they got their start in the church, right? Everybody from, from at, and, and, and one of the things we got to be, we got to recognize, you know, that, <laughs> you know, some of them started in the church, left the church, came back to the church, amen, started their own church, y'all ain't talking to me in here, right? There's been this back and forth between the world and the church for a long time. This isn't new, right? This isn't new, y'all. Um, and, 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 and you, you, you have this list of people, these people who we celebrate, whose music that we love, who we recognize have their beginnings right here among us. A lot of them in Baptist churches. Amen. Beyonce, I think, was in a Methodist church. Uh, uh, it's out of Houston. I've, Rudy Rasmus is the pastor. I forget the name of it right now. But, uh, but yeah, but Baptist and Methodist churches, by and large, are the beginnings of, of a lot of the people whose music we love and who the people who we love and celebrate. Which, 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 which says this to me, that the church, watch this, the church is the launching pad for a lot of talent. And it comes, it comes from us. It, watch this, watch this. Y'all know, y'all know when these babies sing up here, you're looking at some of them, you say, that baby gifted. Right? Or when, 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 when the moms are dancing, you look at it, that boy can mime. That, that girl can dance. You, and you're looking at the beginnings of God working with them. Now, who knows where they're going to end up? They, 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 may, they, may, they may dance for Alvin Ailey dancers. Y'all ain't talking to me. Right? But it started here. And we can celebrate the gifts that God gives and the gifts that we nurture in the church. It's a launching pad. Now watch this, watch this. The church is also a launching pad, but I would suggest, I would suggest that the church is also a landing ground. Or we should recognize it as a landing ground. Because guess what? 
People who launch sometimes need to come back home. Y'all ain't talking to me. People who are launched into the world and see everything and, and, and recognize everything that the world has to offer sometimes find themselves just like the prodigal son did. When he came to himself and recognized, I got to go back to my daddy's house. And so while the church is a launching pad, it must also embrace the fact that it is a landing ground. It's a landing ground. And I, I say that because too often we, 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 we play gatekeepers to the church and try to act like who can come back and who can't. Now you've been gone too long and you've been doing this, that, and the other and no, we can't have you back. No, you you really way out there. Truth be told, were it not for the grace of God. Don't y'all look at me like this. You would be way out there. Amen. And so and so I think I think we need to celebrate and accept the fact that the church should also not just be a launching pad, but be a landing ground, a place where people who are hurt, people who are broken, people who are looking for, looking for, looking for peace, love, and joy, and hope, looking for those things can come back and land in the church. The question is, y'all, listen, if somebody's hurting, can they come to the church and be healed? If somebody's searching, can they come to the church and find truth? If somebody needs hope, can they come to the church and be among some Christians who give them an encouraging word rather than judging them because of where they've been, how they smell, and how they look? You've been in the world too long. You smell like the world. Well, yeah, I've been there. You've been around pigs. You're going to smell like pigs. Y'all ain't talking to me. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but now I'm here, so what are you going to do with me? And it's a, it's a great challenge for the church to stop being so judgmental when people need to come back home. If they left us, if they were launched here, and if you go back and look at Kanye's history, he, he got some church in him. Yeah, he got some church in him. So, so, so if, if, if for whatever reason... He's deciding, you know what, I need to come back. The question is, and let me be clear, I'm, I'm, not, in, I'm not into some things I'm going to get into later. Right now, I'm talking about how should we, the church, treat people who need to come back home. That's what I'm dealing with. How should the church treat people who need to be healed, who need to be helped, and who need hope? I, I suggest, and, and I, I, don't, I don't think I'm wrong, I think the church should be a judge. How, how many of y'all uh, go to Planet Fitness? Or y'all, Planet Fitness? I think it's Planet Fitness. They used to have this, this sign. What did it say? Judge-free zone, right? Or, what, huh? Judge-free zone, right? And they got it, they got it, they got it, they got it on all their walls. This is a judge-free zone. That means you can come in here in shape. You can come in out of shape. You come in whatever shape you, you get. This is a judge-free zone. We're not going to look at you. and ju We're just glad that you're here. Oh, my God. What if the church? What if the church just decided, you know what? We're going to stop judging people for how they come in and just be glad. 
I wish I had two or three folk who would go with me on that. Just be glad that they're here in the place where truth can be delivered, where change and transformation can happen. Amen. Maybe we need to steal that from Planet Fitness and put Judge Freeze on. On all our church, well, I don't mean this church, but churches all across the nation just need to go to judge-free zones. We don't judge people, okay? So that's number one. That's number one. That's number one, that, that the church has been, topic number one, the church has been a launching pad. It needs to also be a landing space, a space where people who need hope, help, and health can land and get what they need without being judged. Amen, somebody. Number two, top, the second thing I want to talk about tonight, second thing I want to talk about, there are four things uh, in your handout. Second thing I want to talk about is conversion, transformation, and discipleship. Conversion, transformation, and discipleship. I, w I want to start with this statement, and those who are with us online can't see it, but, but, but the statement is this. God is sovereign and can save, raise, and use whomever he chooses. God is sovereign and can save, raise, and use whomever he chooses. See, see, the church got some problems even with that. Because we think we know who God ought to be using. We, we, we got it figured out. Who ought to be a preacher and who, who ain't got no business being a preacher? We got to figure it out. Who ought to be a deacon and who, ain't, who ought to run away from anything that looked like being a deacon? Amen. God, I'm going to say it again, God is sovereign and can save, raise, and use whomever he chooses. Romans 10 and 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the what name of the Lord shall be saved? Who, 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 who can call on his name? Who, who is whoever? You mean, you mean everybody and anybody? Everybody and anybody can call upon the name of the Lord. And God is sovereign to save raise and use whomever he chooses. Psalm 75, Psalm 75 verses 5 through 7. Uh, you, you have that there? Psalm 75 verses 5 through 7 says, Lift not up your horn on high. Speak not with the stick ne stiff neck. Uh, for promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. Look at that. God is the judge. God, God, God is the judge. God determines who he wants to use, where, when, and how. God determines whom he wants to use, where, when, and how. He puts up whom he chooses. He puts down whom he chooses. And that's God's business. I know you don't like it. I know you don't like that. I, I know you don't. I know, I know we think we're supposed to have something to do with that. God chooses to use whom. And listen, God has a track record of using unlikely people. 
He has a track record of using unlikely people. Moses murdered a man. Moses murdered a man before becoming the leader of God's people. Rahab was a woman of the night who helped the children of Israel claim the promised land. Peter denied knowing Jesus and ended up being the keynote speaker on the day of Pentecost. Are y'all with me? Paul killed those who spoke the name of Jesus before becoming the one who would write, at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. That's the same Paul. And if you spoke the name of Jesus, he would kill you before he wrote, at that name, every knee must bow. Good God Almighty. So he has a record of choosing people and using the unlikelies. The unlikelies. And let me add, the unlovelies. Hmm. The unlikely and the unlovely. The ones who, who, who we think are unlovable or unloving or not worth being loved. God has a record of choosing those individuals. And some would ask, well, Reverend, what about past convictions and past associations and allegiances? Because, because, because um, it's been said that, that with, and I, listen, I'll be honest with you now, I'm not a Kanye head. I don't know all of his life and, and, and all of that. I, that's not my world. Uh, but, but, but the little that I do know, uh, they, they've said that, that, that when he was in his younger days that, that he, and this is going to sound real weird to some of y'all because y'all don't know what does that mean, but in his younger days that he, he sort of pledged an allegiance to what's called the Illuminati. Uh, Illuminati is some, some, some uh, secret uh, entity that, that, that musicians and those in the arts world and those who are, are, are musicians and artists and all kinds of things pledge allegiance to and therefore they get entrance into that whole culture. It, let me say it like this. It's kind of like when, when, when uh, up on 61 in Clarksdale, where, where they said Robert Johnson sold his soul. Y'all ain't talking to me in here. Y'all remember that? Where, where he sold his soul to, and, and, and so, and so there, there's, this, there's this idea that, that okay, that, that once, you, once you give yourself to those kinds of entities or, those, or make those kinds of confessions, yeah, that, that you're in that. Listen, let me say this. Either God is omnipotent or he's not. What are you saying? I'm saying either God is all-powerful or he's not. Which means if God can save anybody, that means he will save anybody. And I don't care what your past is, what your past confessions, what your past associations, what your past affiliations are. If you call upon the name of the Lord, if you shall confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ has been raised, thou shalt be saved. It doesn't talk about what your past was. And thank God it doesn't talk about what my past was. Wish I had two or three folk who would go with me on this. Because there's some past confessions and associations and affiliations that you have. Good God Almighty. Yeah, and so, and so either God is all-powerful or he's not. Which means that if, if he's all-powerful, that he can save me from anything and bring me to who he is. The past mistakes I made, God can save me from those. The past confessions I made, he can save me from. The past affiliations, associations I made, he can save me from that. Either, watch this, either the blood works or it doesn't. You can keep singing that song all you want to. Either you believe it or you don't. If the blood works, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If it works, it works. 
So stop deciding who it's going to work on. Stop deciding who, who's too far gone that it can't work for them. Either it works or it doesn't. Either God is all-powerful or he isn't. Either he can save whosoever or he can't. You can't have it both ways. Amen, somebody. All right, all right, all right, all right. Lord, I feel like preaching in a minute. Um, all right, all right, all right, all right. So, 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 so let, me, let, me, let, me, let me enter into this. The, the path to discipleship, because here is where, here is where my concern comes when we talk about the whole Kanye experience and, and, and the entrance of him into the church and, and, and in this respect leading worship and praise time and, and being the, the, the sort of focal uh, of attention in, 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 in leading ministry, leading praise and worship. Here is my concern that that um, let, let's deal with Paul. Paul was Saul, a murderer of Christians, before becoming Paul, a preacher of the gospel. When he became Paul, preacher of the gospel, yes, he started preaching, but he didn't go by himself. Paul had a mentor walking alongside of him in his new ministry. See, and this, this, is, this is where I believe anyone who, and this goes for anyone, I ain't talking about Kanye, this goes for anyone, anyone who is expressing a call to ministry and believes that God wants to use them in ministry. My first question is, my first question is, number one, have you been saved? Number two, did you hear from the Lord? And number three, who's walking with you? Because watch this. The first time somebody say, I'm going by myself, well, you ain't going with me. Right? Because I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't put my hands on somebody who, who, watch this, who will not be mentored, who will not be sharpened, who will not be corrected. In, and that's what, Paul, that's what Barnabas was for Paul. Barnabas was not just opening doors for Paul. Barnabas was also helping him learn what he did not know. And my question is for anybody, but in this case for Kanye, is who's walking along with you? Who is your Barnabas? Who is the person who's going to sharpen you? Who's, who's looking out for, watch this, for, for, your, for your spiritual growth, but also for your emotional health? Hmm. Let, let, me, let me go ahead. Let me go ahead and say this because one of the problems, one of the problems that I see is, is that too often people are so infatuated by the gift that they miss ministering to the person. I'm so enthralled by the gift of music that this brother has that I let the stuff that really needs attention slip under the radar. And the, if the church is guilty of anything, let's be honest and say, we're guilty of letting the gifted slide. Okay, I'm gonna let the live stream say amen to me on that. Y'all give me some thumbs up because they ain't saying nothing here. Listen, we, the church is guilty 
of letting the gifted slide. Because we're so caught up in the gift and, and, and we get so infatuated by the gift and the sound and the skill that we don't tend to the soul. We don't challenge the spirit. We don't sharpen the individual because they keep the people happy. They set the tone and the environment in the, in the service. And, and so I can't mess with that because if I mess with that, that'll mess up my Sunday service. Y'all ain't talking to me. Good God, this is blessing me. And that's, that's what the church is guilty of across the nation. We, we, are so, we are so enthralled with music and the gift of music and what it does to a church and a congregation that oftentimes those who are producing the music are bleeding in the seats they're sitting in. They're bleeding all over the seat and you listening to the music. Now, if we're going to talk honest about something, let's deal with the church's sin. Because we are guilty of, of, of letting the talented tiptoe in and out without tending to their souls. We're guilty of letting the ones who sing well shout us and never sharpen them. Because the gift takes us where we want to be. Oh, Lord. I think there needs to be some confession right there. Needs to be some confession right there that, that we have misused our musicians by letting them minister to us without tending to them. I don't know where all this is coming from, but it's good. <laughs> a lot of this, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we've, and, 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 and so, and so we, we've really, we really, we really have, we really have to do a better, a better job at ministering to those who minister to us. Of taking their lives seriously. Of recognizing, you know what, that the people who play up here, that's just one part of them. That's just, that's one facet of their lives. What happens when they leave the instrument? Are you praying for them or are you just thanking them for another good service? Mm. I'm trying to go on, but I can't. I don't know why. 
All right, so, 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 so Barnabas, I was talking about Barnabas, talking about Barnabas. Barnabas is the one who mentors, who, stay, who walks alongside of Paul. Paul needs a Barnabas, and if you're going to minister, you need that individual who is walking alongside of you, the one who is challenging you, the one who is pouring into you and sharpening you. And my question to Kanye and to anyone else who is entering into that, that space of leading worship is, who is your Barnabas? Who's responsible for your spiritual growth and development? And if you say it's just you and the Lord, that's the wrong answer. That's the wrong answer. God doesn't expect you to do that by yourself. All right. All right. Um, yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyone who's in ministry, anyone who, who, anyone who is, is giving of themselves faithfully and regularly to lead others in worship, that's a, that's a ministry that also needs, th those are ministers who need ministering to. Right? They need ministering to. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, be I believe you. got to pray for them. We got to pray for pray for our leaders, right? We pray for our leaders. We pray for those who serve us. And we pray for those, watch this, who care for our souls, right? Those who are charged with the care of our souls, we are to pray for those individuals. Go with me to topic number three where it talks about the church must learn to practice discernment rather than judgment. We talked a little bit about that earlier this, this evening, but I want to delve into it a little bit more because what, I, what it says here, the church has a twofold obligation. One, to restore and heal those who are broken. That's number one. Our obligation is to restore and heal those who are broken, right? Number two, our obligation is also to protect those who are on their own journey. So, so the, church is, the church is, watch this, helping those who are broken, who come in and, and need faith and hope. Come on in. Let's be restored. Let's be healed. But it's also protecting those who are already on the journey. Now, if the church is protecting those who are on the journey, that means that those who are charged for the care of the soul must be discerning in who's helping to minister to the flock. I got to be discerning. If I'm, if I'm not only healing those who are hurting, but I'm protecting those who are on their own journey, I got to look and make sure that those who are in charge of ministry are going to do good and not bad. I've got to make sure that those who are in ministry are, are, are equipped, are prepared, are mature enough to handle the ministry that I'm giving them the responsibility to carry and that God has given them the sacred privilege and the opportunity to hold in their hands. Caring for your soul says it means watching for dangers, deceptions, and devils that can destroy your life. That is the pastor's charge. 
to care for your soul by watching for the dangers, the deceptions, and the devils that can destroy your life. One can and should discern the patterns, behaviors, and tendencies in people without judging the heart, intentions, and confessions of people. Listen to what I said. You can discern the patterns. I can discern the behaviors. I can discern the tendencies without judging the heart. That's, look, watch. I'm saying this, that, that I have... And, and every mature believer has a responsibility to discern, to discern behavior, to discern patterns, and to see what they're looking at. You, God doesn't tell you to be dumb about stuff. The Bible doesn't tell you to close your eyes to what's looking, staring you down the face. No, I got to discern that I have to deal with that. And that does not mean, watch this, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that Christians have to embrace and accept everything. To be loving. Now, I can love you, but I can also discern where you are in your life, where you are in your journey, and what's appropriate for you at this stage of your journey. What are you saying? I'm saying the church is guilty oftentimes of putting people in places where they are not spiritually mature to handle. Church is oftentimes guilty of saying, you know what, I think brother so-and-so ought to do this or sister so-and-so ought to do this. Cause, why? Because they, they smart. They, they got a degree and they, yeah, but they just got baptized. Right? Are they ready for that yet? No, we, we got to be discerning about that and recognize that just because they're grown don't mean they're ready. Good God Almighty. All right. Discerning means that I discern, interrogate, question. I ask questions about. And that's, that's my question. Is in, who, is, who is asking Kanye questions? Who is interrogating? Not just Kanye. Again, it goes to anybody. Who's, who's, doing the, who's doing the deep work that's necessary? To say, you know what, yeah, you're ready for this. Yeah, you can stand in front of these people whose souls need to be tended to because you've done your own work. Mm. You've done your own work. And now, watch this. I will give you the privilege to work on others. Because you've done your work. Okay? Um, listen, I want to hurry up and get, I, I, I didn't get everything done, but I want to hurry up and get to one thing. Do, do you have that clip ready? Um, because, because the last thing I want to look at, we cannot, we cannot, we cannot overlook what people tell us and what people show us and what people give us evidence of. Kanye has made no bones and no secret about the fact that he deals with manic bipolar, he's manic as a manic bipolar. He, he's made that public. And thank God that he's made that public. Thank God that he's brought attention to that. I think too many times we, we keep stuff in the, in the closet and, and, and secrets and we try to figure out why folk act the way they act and, and then we call them, just, they just mean. They ain't just mean, they manic. They're dealing with stuff, Right? And so thank God that attention is brought to that. But when attention is brought to that, the church must be discerning in how to deal with the data. How do you deal with the data 
when it's brought to your attention. You got the clip? Let's see it. Define it uh, for me. What is the mechanism that is malfunctioning or is taking a break in your brain? Do you know? I wouldn't be able to explain that as much, just that, you know, because I'm not a doctor. I can just tell you what I'm feeling at the time. And I feel a heightened connection with the universe when I'm ramping up. It is a health issue. This is like a sprained brain, like having a sprained ankle. And if someone has a sprained ankle, you're not gonna push on him more. Right. With us, once our brain gets to a point of spraining, people do everything to make it worse. I want to introduce to you our special guest tonight, Sarah Cunningham. Sarah Cunningham uh, is with UMMC. Uh, she, she is a psychologist, uh, got her uh, doctorate from, uh, from Jackson State, also uh, uh, did some work up in Chicago at the uh, VA, at Br uh, Brown VA, uh, but she uh, is, is one of our friends here. And I asked her to come to talk to us about, about uh, how uh, manic bipolar presents and what, what that, what, because he, he describes it uh, his way, but I understand that, that everybody has their own experience with it. So come on, come and share with somebody. Go, come on, give her a K-Chap a welcome. <laughs> Dr. Cunningham. Good evening, everyone. Uh, and again, I want to thank uh, you all for inviting me in the space to have this conversation as, first of all, I feel, um, as mentioned, that it is a very important conversation for us to have. Um, as we, of course, in the African-American community, we don't talk about mental health concerns um, or potentially there is a stigma or an association between mental health concerns and demonic possession or some type of malfunction within the individual character issue. Um, so again, I, I thank you guys for inviting me to speak. Um, so there are a few things I definitely want to note right off the bat. Um, and again, if you guys have questions or concerns, you know, just stop me at any time. Raise your hand and ask questions. I want this to be an open forum. Um, as of course, uh, some of the things I'm going to say are a little bit more clinical and a little bit more technical, but I want to make sure everybody gets this, okay? Um, so first of all, manic depressive disorder is the same thing as bipolar disorder. Um, so that's the first misnomer. People think those are two different things, okay? So manic depressive disorder is kind of the term that we use in everyday language as often it doesn't have a stigma as much as the term bipolar does, okay? So again, they're the same thing. So bipolar disorder can be broken down into many subdivisions, but we have two primary ones. We have bipolar one and a bipolar two, okay? What we know about one and two, the main difference is that when someone has two, their manic symptoms, and we're gonna talk about what those are, they're less severe, okay? So they're not as bad, okay? Or they're not as disruptive in their everyday lives, okay? Bipolar one is a little bit different. Bipolar one, we're seeing more of the extreme swings in mood. Okay? And that essentially is what bipolar disorder is. It's a mood disorder. So it's a concern or an issue with how someone presents or deals with everyday problems, okay? Now again, this disorder is highly prevalent. It's one of our more common mental health concerns. But again, we don't talk about that. 
We want to think that it's something that, you know, someone over there has or someone I don't know has. But again, it very well can touch us in our personal lives. Um, in fact, in the general population, up to 2.8% of people have a manic episode in their lifetime. And that equates to about 10 million people in the U.S. So that's a lot of folks, okay? Again, 2.8%. And again, this is a concern that, again, we don't talk about, we try not to highlight, we say, you know, just take your medication, you know, we're not going to deal with it, but we know that medication alone isn't sufficient, it's not enough, okay? There's another piece to the equation. There's the support that folks need from their communities, there's therapy, there's individuals working every day, having a, a need or a function in their life where, of course, they're doing something that allows them to be constructive, just like all of us, okay? So keep that in mind. But again, we have bipolar one and bipolar two. Now what's mania? Okay, a lot of people don't know what that means. There's a, a, a lot of misconceptions about what it looks like. And it can vary. Okay? So I'm gonna take you through some of the main symptoms. So number one, what has to be present is at least a period, we're talking two to three days consistently. This is for hypomania, or the lower version, the, the not so severe version of mania. So at least two or three days, up to about at least two weeks, so that's full mania, where someone has what we call an expansive mood. Okay, so they're maybe irritable. This person may, in addition to that, may respond very strongly to issues or situations that happen in their lives. Now, expansive mood, what that means is that the person may respond to an everyday situation or issue with really, really strong emotions. So this person may, when they're angry, they'll yell louder than the average person, or they'll scream, or maybe break something, okay? Or potentially, on the other end of that, if the person, say, is in love or feels happy, there may be extreme displays of that. So this may be someone professing their love relatively quickly. This may be someone doing very extreme things, giving up personal information, et cetera, because they feel that emotion, okay? So again, you have that swing or change in your mood and mania, okay? So you have that expansive mood or very irritable. Again, we're talking two to three days to up to about two weeks. That's average, okay? So that's the first piece. Another piece of it as well is the person often has what's called grandiosity. So that's a term that we may see or hear. But what that simply means is that the individual may see him or herself as being perhaps more important or indestructible or invincible, and perhaps that's not the case. So this person, again, may see that, hey, I don't assess danger as well. This person may say, you know, in this moment, I feel like I can perhaps cross the street, busy traffic, et cetera, and nothing will happen to me. Okay, so that's a very extreme example, but a more everyday example of that would be someone thinking, you know, I can do small things, like I can get up in front of a crowd without preparing, et cetera, and they feel like, you know, I've got this, I can handle this. So it's sort of this inflated self-esteem, okay? It's a little bit more than the average, but it's present. So, so far, we have the expansive mood or irritability, and we have that sense of grandiosity or higher self-esteem, okay? In addition to that, too, another concern is what we call impulsivity. So this is someone being impulsive, right? Doing things very quickly, not thinking about it, saying whatever, I'm just going to go with it, go with the flow. Okay? Now, a lot of times that's confused in a lot of folks. That's one of the symptoms that a lot of people don't catch in mental health or even with your primary care doctors, right? Because often when people are just doing things and they're impulsive about it, spending a lot of money, maybe speed racing, et cetera, we start to think, oh, there's a personality problem 
or oh, this person is reckless or even dangerous. That's not necessarily the case, but this is what happens when we see someone who is in mania, okay? Along the period um, as well, so this may be within that two to three days, maybe thereafter at some point, a person also may have a decreased need for sleep. So they feel rested after a couple of hours of sleep, or maybe they don't sleep at all for a couple of days. And again, this is accompanied or comes with the person feeling you know, up and amped, okay? Like they don't need sleep, they're fine, okay? Now to us, when we're not manic or to other folks, they may say, wow, you know, it's been a couple of days. You know, you're, I don't think you're well. Maybe you need to sleep, right? Number one, we don't just say things to folks in general, right? We have to back this up with some data. So we want to make sure, again, when we have this conversation about sleep, we're very clear that we've seen there's been a couple of days of no sleep. And in addition to that, while you are not sleeping, often you're doing a lot of activities. Okay, so it's not just you're just sitting there. People are active, okay? So we want to talk about that when we talk about symptoms with other folks, but this is also what we see when someone's not sleeping. Okay, they're up, they're active, doing a variety of different things, so focused on what they have going on that they neglect other things trying to finish one thing. Okay, so I know you guys have seen like commercials for like Latuda and other um, certain you know, medications, et cetera, and you see people that are just moving around their house, they're cleaning, et cetera. That's a common example of what you might see by someone being very active during a manic phase. Any questions so far? No? Okay. So those are some common symptoms. Another common symptom as well, which we don't talk about again as much because often people feel there's a stigma to it, um, is that people may also do some things that potentially may increase their risk for danger, okay? So here, this is part of being impulsive, but importantly, this is a person taking it a step further, and this is full-blown mania. Someone may, again, do things that may, be a high, may cause them to have a high risk for like pain or suffering. So here, often people may engage in some of the more extreme behaviors that we've seen with Kanye, where they may jump out into a crowd without really paying attention to who may be able to carry them, things like that. So behaviors where, again, there's a high risk for pain. It's very close to or very sensitive to being impulsive, uh, very close to, excuse me, being impulsive, but it's not the exact same thing. It's a little bit more extreme, okay? So that's another example of behavior that we see. And then finally, in addition to some of these behaviors, we also see that there is what's called pressured speech, okay? Or even a flight of ideas. So this may be, a great example of it is someone having like a motor in their head. It feels like they're going and going and going and there's so much they wanna say and express to other folks, they just can't find the right words, or maybe they're saying so much that it's hard to understand them. Okay, so this is like jumbled words, a lot of speech, a lot of things people are saying that maybe we can't follow the, pat, the, 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 the linear progression of ideas or where they're going with the ideas, but to that other person, they think they're fine, right? The person who's experiencing the mania, they don't know that this is happening. Okay, so it's like a pressured speech. I have to keep talking and talking and talking and I feel like I have to get my ideas out because maybe I'm gonna miss them, an opportunity to say something or maybe I'm not gonna express myself like I'd like. So again, we find this to be a common symptom, okay? Now, another symptom of bipolar disorder, if you will, that's on the other end of this in depression is suicide. And the only reason why I'm bringing this up now is because when someone is going through mania, you're also at an increased risk for suicide, okay? Now, suicide, again, is something we don't talk about in our community as much, does happen amongst black people. So that's a common myth. We think black people don't do that. That is not true at all. In fact, what we know is when it comes to folks that have mood disorders, not just bipolar disorder, but depression as well, 
folks that are African-American are actually more likely to try to commit suicide than persons that are Caucasian, okay? In fact, we know in one's lifetime, if you ever experience mania, have bipolar disorder, you're at about a 64% likelihood or chance of trying to commit suicide in your lifetime, compared to whites where it's about 42%, okay? So again, with mania, people are at, again, thinking they're invincible, and then sometimes even in mania, we see a, a, just a slight drop or change in mood where there is some depression, but, it but again, they're thinking that they're okay, and again, there's a desire sometimes to want to hurt yourself to do something that's, again, so risky that it may lead to actual death, okay? So that's the grandiosity, right? Feeling that you're especially important, that you're invincible, that something about you is necessary for the world. Maybe you have the cure to cancer or different diseases. And again, you feel like you are maybe a prophet of God or something to that sort, to that extreme, where again, you feel like you're chosen for a particular purpose without there being like sufficient evidence to support that idea. Now, in regard to that piece, um, a reason why folks often think that when they're having a full-blown manic experience um, is because actually bipolar disorder is what we typically call a bridge disorder. So it's actually somewhere between in behavior what we see in depression and what we see in like more severe, more psychotic experiences where people may see some things that may not be there, may hear some things that may not be there, and importantly may have beliefs just like that where they feel they're especially important, can again save the world, that type of thing. Um, so. I bring this up because Okay, so great question. What's the treatment? So our frontline defense, or the first thing that we do, is make sure folks are on the right medications. Okay, so bipolar disorder is one of those disorders that has a really strong genetic or biological part to it. Often people will have like an imbalance or a change in their brain. What happens typically is your reward system or the part of your brain that says I'm satisfied or I'm full or, you know, I want some excitement or I'm feeling ex uh, so exuberant or so happy that, you know, I want to do more risky things. That reward system of our brains often is a little bit off. 
So your serotonin, again, is a little bit off. Your um, neuroadrenaline is a little bit off. Dopamine is off, et cetera. So again, the frontline defense, because there's more of a chemical component to this, is medication. So you have three main classes of medication. I'm going to make this brief. So one, there is a mood stabilizer. So that's the first thing people often get on. This is like your lithium. This is like a Depakote. What these medications do is they really help individuals truly, again, better regulate or better control that brain chemistry. Okay? So that's what a mood stabilizer, in essence, really does. We want to be careful in giving folks those because they're very powerful. And even if you take it as you should, it's really likely that at some point in your life, there may be toxicity or too much of the lithium in your system, which can cause a lot of problems, liver issues especially. So mood stabilizers. The next type that actually African Americans are more likely to get is something that we call atypical antipsychotic medications. Um, so these medications typically have stronger side effects. And again, there's an issue sometimes with like poverty and being African American. All of that may influence your likelihood of getting this type of medication. But those medications often, especially in African Americans, sometimes can lead to diabetes, sometimes can lead to excessive weight gain, cholesterol, et cetera. Those are side effects. But aside from that, those are very helpful. Um, those in the short term work. Okay, so this is more like your Zyprexa. Um, this is more of your Latuda. You've seen that probably advertised on television, for example, Seroquel, which also helps you sleep, and also medications that help with like epilepsy and seizure. Um, the last type of medication is your antidepressants. So these are medications, honestly, it's the most prescribed type of medication in the U.S. Okay, so with antidepressants, these really help that serotonin to function well or your body to bring it up or take it up as it should. With your antidepressant um, medications, we want to be careful with those because what may happen is they may cause mania if we just give them that alone. So three types of medication, also family support, so family therapies are really important, and of course counseling is important. We try to avoid that piece, but that's necessary. We need someone to check in um, on that individual, make sure they're doing okay, make sure the medications are functioning well. Also help them deal with everyday situations because we're talking about a person who may be going through life with perhaps, if you will, goggles on, right? Things may seem like problems or issues when you're not manic, but again, when you're dealing with mania, things seem heightened or enhanced. So it's overwhelming for a lot of folks. So again, they need that day-to-day -day support, someone to talk to, to help them work through issues. Is it curable? Uh, no, it's not the type of thing that's curable. It's kind of like a lifelong um, type of concern, uh, but people can go many years without having episodes. So it's like diabetes or any chronic condition. It's manageable. It is manageable, it's though. Man that's you true. can live with it, yes. bring it up here. Mm -hmm. What would be other than medication that you can use uh, right. any kind of physical activity and thing like right. that can help you? Right. So the first thing is we want to bust the myth or uh, dispel the myth, if you will, that medication is bad. Okay. So we as a culture think that if you're going to medicate me, you're going to make me zombied out. Right. I'm not going to know what's going on in life. I'm going to be confused. It's, it's going to be a bad experience. Okay. So it's just like anything else that you may do in life. Say you have a cold, you take a medication, it's to actually help you. So if you're on the right dose, there may not be those negative side effects. But again, if you don't want medication, which is fine, you do want to follow a strict regimen, if you will, of like exercising, doing things, again, to keep you motivated, again, engaging your brain, doing helpful things. That's effective, but with bipolar disorder, it typically alone isn't enough. Questions? Yes. For instance, you see or know a family member or friend.
do you get these people to hear this treatment? You know, because a lot of times they like Right. Good question. Good question. Um, a simple kind of go-to answer there is treat them like any other person. Okay, so if you have an issue or you have a concern and you, of course, don't want to do the things to help you manage that concern, just like anybody else or someone who may have bipolar disorder, you're going to be resistant. So if I see that someone truly doesn't want to go to their appointments, et cetera, and it may be because of the side effects of the medication, we don't know, right? What we want to do is, first of all, have a conversation with them. Say, you know, these are the things I'm observing. These are the things I'm concerned about. So use those I messages, right? I am seeing that there is an issue. I am seeing that there are some concerns. And I am concerned about your well-being, right? I want to walk with you. I want to go to treatment with you if you want me to, or at least drop you off. Make sure you get there, right? So again, treat the person like someone um, that, again, is dealing with any other concern. And also, again, talk about what you're seeing, you're observing. So you can't pray mental health away. Mental right. illness. Right. Is that what I'm hearing you say? <laughs> right. Yeah, you don't, <laughs> you don't pray that away. <laughs> exactly. Prayer is effective. You know, that's not the only tool God has given us. So Amen. let's use everything available to us. Hey, can you grab that mic there? Go, come on to that mic. Very good. Is there like an average age that people are diagnosed or is it just like something triggers them mm -hmm. to make them become bipolar and um, or is that something that someone's born with mm -hmm. and they just grow and oh I'm bipolar. Right. Good question. Um, so great question. So average on a, uh, average age of onset or when a person is most likely to experience their first, first episode of like mania or even depression is in your early teens, I mean your uh, excuse me, late teens and early 20s. So between 18 and 23 is often when someone has their first episode. Um, in regard to what may cause someone to express that trait or to, to exhibit symptoms, um, it can be a number of things. The research hasn't fully answered that question, but what we do know is that things that are likely to cause it to come on, if you already have like the genetic, def uh, more likely to have it because of your genetics, um, is sometimes stressful life events. Somebody dies, right? There's a big change or disruption in your everyday life, okay? It's not, if you have like a parent um, who have may have bipolar disorder or a grandparent that may have it, you may be at an increased likelihood of having that condition, but it doesn't mean you're going to have it. Right. If you have a, just quickly here, if you have a parent, just one parent that has bipolar disorder, your chances again are going up to 15 to 30 percent. If both parents have bipolar disorder, your chances of developing in your lifetime go up 50 to 75 percent. So it is pretty strong genetic link there, but again, it's not the only reason why someone may have symptoms. Stressors can cause some so onset. So along with the genetic, I is there is there anything you can do to not become mentally ill? Yes. Um, so first of oh. all, just like um, so first of all, lifestyle is very important when it comes to mental illness. So lifestyle, I'm not saying lifestyle alone is sufficient to prevent any type of onset of mental illness um, because there are some things in life that just are unpredictable, right? You don't know if someone's going to die, right? You don't know if you have a health condition sometimes that may be in addition to the bipolar disorder, right? You don't know if you're going to have cancer, right? So aside from like the unknown, the lifestyle factors, things you can do to try to prevent the onset of certain mood disorders is first of all, again, keep a strict 
plan in life, right? Exercise is very important. Structuring your day is very important. This may even decrease how severe it can be. But again, I'm not saying that's sufficient or enough for you never to have the disorder. Sometimes it's random chance. Sometimes it just happens. I would like to ask you uh, what are the effects of drugs, say marijuana, alcohol, on the yeah. person with the Right. Good. Good question. Good question. Um, so this is one of those questions um, that's very similar to the you know the chicken before the egg, right? Which one comes first, right? What we know is that folks that have bipolar disorder one or two are at an increased risk of having some substance addiction or drug addiction. Okay, we're talking your chances of having that in your lifetime go up sixty percent. Okay. So a lot of times we're seeing that folks may have this early onset of drugs, but perhaps that's due to some changes that they're seeing in their brain. Maybe they feel uncomfortable, maybe a little depressed, and your alcohol, your marijuana, all that seems like a good go-to, okay? So that's one way of looking at it. If you already have the predisposition or you're likely to have it, sometimes you're likely to also pick up drugs. Now, if you're talking about drug use alone and that being the start of bipolar disorder, what we know is that there is a substance or a drug-induced um, type of bipolar or mania that you may experience in your lifetime. Um, to answer this in a more straightforward way, think about it like this. If you're smoking marijuana, for example, um, and you're smoking marijuana that also is laced or has with it like a stimulant or also has with it um, a drug perhaps that can make you feel like um, kind of have an outer body experience, if you will, so these are like your benzos, that by itself can also increase your likelihood of having mania. So it's not like marijuana alone. Okay, Mar now just quickly here, marijuana itself, we're the research again is mixed on that. It's not the marijuana, the plant, okay? It's not the CBDD or the, the kind of part of it that's helpful for your uh, muscles, that type of thing. It's the THC um, that potentially can be in the marijuana that's not helpful for folks, okay? Too much of that can increase your chances of having uh, a manic episode. Um, I, um Kanye talked a lot, a lot about uh, his mom and when his mom passed, and uh, his mom, his mom passing had a huge effect on him. So I guess my question is, um, do traumatic experiences uh, play a role in, in being manic? And it, it, you know, a lot of folks who followed his, uh, you know, followed his career and his lifestyle noticed that things kind of took a turn south after mm -hmm. his mom, uh, after his mom passed. So is it possible? Um, not just I'm just using him as an example, yeah. but just in general, but. Is it possible that someone can develop this uh, after a, a large traumatic experience that wasn't present before? Or does it, you know, uh, mm -hmm. kind of, or was it already there and then mm -hmm. just kind of took, you know, went you gotcha. know, more aggressive? Right. So at the, the heart of your question, I think, is this point. So manic depression, if you will, or bipolar disorder, it's not the type of thing where it's all or none. Either you don't have it or you do have it. So it's not like I am not likely to have it. There's no genetic piece of this that makes me more likely to have it. Something bad happens and then I have it. It's not like that. Instead, folks that go on to develop this disorder often have people in their lives that already have a mood disorder or they're more likely to have a mood disorder because of their genetic factors. Okay. So, for example, if you have a parent who may be dealing with depression or personality disorder or a first-degree relative like a sister brother, again, because your genes are very similar, you're likely to possibly have that in your lifetime, then something bad happens, it's, again, you're now above the water, if you will, the tip of the iceberg is exposed, you have the concern, to answer your question. So, yes, bad things can happen, bring it on, but you already got to be predisposed or likely to have uh, the concern. We're going to get two more questions in here. Okay, my question is uh, relating to uh, a person's 
ability to work, to be employed, because so many of the things that we're hearing now that's happening in the news, you know, they go back to mental illness, you know, the tragedies I'm speaking of. Uh, has there been any, any studies or anything that shows the person's uh, correlation between employability and, and people yeah. with bi bipolar? Right. Um, so to answer that question, so the research that's available is mixed, right? We're not saying you can or cannot work. It's not black and white because you have this concern or you don't, right? Instead, what we know is that there's something in between, can I work, do I have this concern? That thing in between is how bad is it for me, right? How much does this interfere with, does this interfere with my ability to make decisions? The, how much does this interfere with my ability to regulate my sleep? That's the stuff that makes someone unemployable, right? So if a person has a concern, but they're, they're sleeping well, they're regulating their mood well, they're on their medication, they're just as likely to find successful employment, do well, as someone who doesn't have bipolar disorder. But if you're dealing with the concern and then you're not treating it, then we're talking about an increased uh, risk of being unemployable. And we're seeing that with people that may have more severe bipolar disorder, it's about 15 to 20% of folks are unemployable because they're not getting treated. Yeah, I was just wondering, uh, how long has the uh, disease or disorder been on the literature, or how, how long is it like the history of the disorder um, been around? Great question. So um, early writings of symptoms that may um, be consistent or look like mania um, have been present in our society for centuries, okay? So there's evidence that even in ancient Greek cultures, um, even in early like Egyptian cultures, there, there has been some evidence that people may have some mood shifts. So this is not the type of thing that's a new age issue or it's just developed, it's been around, right? As long as we've had written language. So again, this is a very common concern. Now us identifying this as bipolar disorder, this happened around our, our diagnostic manual three. Um, so this is around like the 70s where we're saying, okay, maybe this is something that is a standalone concern and we're identifying it as bipolar disorder. All right. We have extended our time, but okay. I want to thank you all <laughs> no for, yeah, thank you, Dr. Cunningham, for coming and sharing with us. Were y'all helped on tonight? We want to thank you. Thank you for being a part. Thank our live stream audience for you being a part as well um, and uh, for you coming and, and sharing with us. Listen, the, the bottom line is this. Uh, whoever uh, is is in charge or, or giving the sacred responsibility or privilege uh, to be engaged in ministry, we need to be in prayer for those individuals, right? We need to care for those individuals, not just their gift, but also the person who's providing the gift. We need people who walk alongside of them. And, and I say this, I say this, pray for Kanye, pray for everybody else, Amen. Um, and, and, and pray for the church that, that we uh, think correctly about how we respond to people, relate to people as they search for truth. As they search for truth. I think we have a responsibility with how we, how we do that. Uh, we, can, we can do that uh, very carefully in a way that, that they are helped or we can do it very sloppily in a way that, that, that they are broken. My prayer is that the church handles people carefully and in a Christian manner. Amen.
Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your time. Our time is up. Amen. Thank you, live stream, for joining us. We're going to turn the live stream off now. God bless you. Thank you, live. Oh, come by uh, K Chapel at 8 or 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Amen. 8 or 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. We have a wonderful service. Uh, we want to see you uh, in the house. God bless you. Good night. Amen. Any announcements tonight, Brother Thickman? Anything we need to give attention to? All right. All hearts and minds are clear. Business meeting. Thank you. Business meeting tomorrow. Business meeting tomorrow at 6 p.m. What, what time? 6 p.m. At 6 p.m. Business meeting is tomorrow. We invite each of you to come out and share with us uh, uh, as we provide information about the upcoming year. That begins to, uh, tomorrow at 6 p.m. All are invited. Amen. All hearts and minds are clear. Then we are standing for the benediction. Eternal God, our Father.